The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. Welcome, Jason. Welcome, Joni. Hi, Jason. <laughs> hi, Joni. Here we whatever. are. Whatever. <laughs> Welcome. Hi. Whatever you want me to say. So we're here doing the podcast again. Um, I don't I don't know exactly which episode that's going to be because this is kind of a special episode. This today. is an impromptu episode. We're in a we're in a professional studio. This is kind of different. So I, it's it's definitely different than our usual environment. So I'm still getting used to the surroundings right now. Yeah, and don't move your hand. <laughs> I, or don't hit the microphone. I, oh. You know, it, the, I have an idea the audio quality would be will be better on this podcast than it is in, in my little home studio, but whatever. But it's our content that matters. Exactly. We it's are what here. we're talking about and what we're discussing that actually matters because that's what people want to listen to and that's what people tune in for is what we're talking about specifically. That's exactly right. We have an interview today, but before we get into that, I want to make a pitch again because as you and I have discussed several times and as we are sending out regularly on email lines mm-hmm. – we're coming up to the holidays. Yes. It is the time of year when it is super stressful for families, for addicts, for families who have addicts as family members. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes there is the viewpoint, let's wait until the new year to get mm-hmm. our loved one into treatment. Mm-hmm. And we're going to reiterate that's a really, really bad idea. Yeah, because the longer you wait, you chance something really, really terrible happening. Like there's the unfortunate stories of a family that, you know, had a loved one that was addicted to, let's say, heroin. And they said, okay, well, we'll wait till next week. And then the day before they were supposed to come to treatment, they overdosed and died and never made it. And so it's like if you have someone that's addicted, act now because you don't know if you have it tomorrow. You don't know if you have it next week because, uh, you know, opioid abuse is so pervasive in our society. And the fact that you don't know what you're getting could be fentanyl, could be heroin, could be something completely different. The chances of dying are really, really high. Exactly. And describe for me, because you tell it so well, what it's like when you have Thanksgiving dinner and the youngest son or the daughter or what have you is an addict. What's that like? Uh, it's it's not what you think it's going to be. A lot of families have this weird pipe dream that they're going to keep it together for the holidays, that you know they're going to get whatever they need, you know. And come to Thanksgiving dinner and sit, you know, on the floor in the living room in front of the fireplace on Christmas morning, open presents. And it's like, no, they're they're a drug addict. That's not how it's going to go. They're probably not going to be there. I know I wasn't during the holidays because my family had that same kind of like idea that I'd hold it together during Thanksgiving at least. Well, I wouldn't show up the day I was supposed to show up. I'd show up on Thanksgiving Day looking like I was addicted to cocaine. And it was just this whole like awful thing. And then the days after Thanksgiving were spent trying to handle me. What's going on? What's happening? Do you need help? And I'm like, no, everything's fine. Meanwhile, some families around the country have their kid go face first in the mashed potatoes at Thanksgiving dinner. It's like it's not the going to be the holiday season that you dream of. Exactly. So the idea is get them treatment and actually have a holiday season where you can sleep at night. Exactly. And get them treatment now. Okay, maybe they won't be home for Thanksgiving. Maybe they won't be home for Christmas. But how do you weigh that against having them for the holidays every year after this year when they're clean and sober? Exactly. You can't. I mean, it's it's really it's a no brainer when you think about it. And I'm going to bring up the one thing that destroys holidays forever is the families of a loved one die on the holiday. Yep. Because around the country and probably around the world, you have family members that don't wake up in their beds Christmas morning and yeah. don't wake up in their beds for to come downstairs for Thanksgiving dinner. That's a reality. And that's what people have to really, really realize is that you risk all those things and when we, you don't send them to treatment right now. we don't want any family to ever experience Mm-mm. that again, which is why we talk about this every single week. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I just want to bring up one other thing. It, we're coming up to Halloween. 
Can I say that? Absolutely. Okay, we're coming up to Halloween, and every year, how many stories do we hear of strange items ending up in kids' candy bags? Now that we have things like cute little gummy bears with THC in them and all sorts of chocolate bars that people who are completely stoned might not realize they just dropped in a kid's candy bag. Right. And I always I want to just prepare parents for the night where the ghouls and goblins come out to play and collect as much candy as humanly possible. Check it and make sure there's nothing sketchy in there. Make sure it's just candy. Yeah. So. Okay. So this week we have on again for the third time. Amy Ronshausen, who is the executive director of Drug Free America. And if our listeners are wondering, why would we have Amy on for the third time? It's because Amy knows the facts, the figures, the metrics, the statistics, the hardcore research data on why we do not want to legalize marijuana recreationally across this country. Mm -hmm. And it keeps coming up. We'll talk about what happened just like recently over the last couple weeks. But this is why Amy's back. And Amy, thank you for being with us again. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, and in, you're, in the new studio. Yeah, exactly. And you're, you're a great person to interview because I always say I'm just passionate about it. I know it's not okay. And I can get up on the pulpit and preach about how, the fact that it's not okay. But you have the actual research and data as to why. So what is it that happened recently that is not good? Uh, well, before I get into that, let me say that it is the people that have the passion that make a difference. Okay. So not, you know, it, it's great to know the information and know the statistics and know the research. But when you have passionate people like you guys out there and like the moms and dads out there, mm -hmm. that's the, the people that really change people's minds because they're telling personal experiences. They're not rattling off data. And it really does make a difference, um, especially in times like this. So um, on Friday, Thursday or Friday, Canada moved to legalize marijuana. So that's been bombarding us in the news. It's unbelievable. Um, so we hear about it. But guess who else hears about it? Our youth. So yeah. it's just another um, notch that, you know, youth are being bombarded with this message that uh, marijuana is normal, marijuana is harmless. And it couldn't be farther from the truth. So it, it, it's depressing in a, in, a, in a way that this is this is why I'm here and, and why we're talking about it. Um, but at the same time, it really is motivating and showing how important it is that we continue to get that message out there on the truth about, about drugs. That's a good point, because when a, when a country like Canada legalizes marijuana across the boards, mm -hmm. that message has got to come across to our youth. Oh, well, then it's okay. This whole country thinks it's fine. Yep. So, so it must be okay. Yeah. And I don't know. I just, when I, the way I grew up was like marijuana was bad and you didn't do it. And if you got caught, you were in big trouble. It was against the law. Well, I just, I can't imagine society the way it is now when you grow up with it normalized. So we, yeah, we have a whole generation of kids who are going to grow up in an era where marijuana has been legalized, one, as a medicine, mm -hmm. and two, for recreational purposes. And make no doubt about it, this is about money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a huge industry, um, and they're putting profits before people. Bottom line, that's what they do. Right. But you were saying something before we started the podcast today about how some of the states who went who got dollar signs in their eyes going, oh, good, we can legalize marijuana and we can make a boatload of money. Not so much. 
Yeah, so um, we have these really good reports that come out of the Rocky Mountain Haida. Haida is the high-intensity drug trafficking areas. Mm -hmm. There's certain ones throughout the nation. And each Haida that is in an area that has legalized marijuana creates marijuana impact reports. The Colorado one is pretty awesome because they've been doing it the longest. Um, So they're able to track the data since before legalization happened in their state and then what we're seeing now. And one of the things they track is the money. They follow the money. So – are they is the state bringing in a lot of dollars from this? Absolutely. It's taxed at three different levels on the recreation site. But when you look at that dollar amount and you put it against the entire state budget, it's less than one percent. So even though it is a lot of money, a state budget is a big number. Yeah. And so and that doesn't account for, you know, that's the money that they're bringing in that that doesn't talk about the money that's being used to regulate the system. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have marijuana dispensaries, somebody has to go in and make sure they're operating within the state law. Mm-hmm. That's another enforcement division. You know, so enforcement alone is probably costing the state close to a million dollars. And just because something's legal doesn't mean that you still don't have bad things that happen because of it. And right. we see that with alcohol and tobacco. Mm-hmm. So there's still a lot of societal costs that come with legalizing a harmful substance. Isn't that fascinating that it's less than 1% and, it's yet, a drop in the bucket. and yet the propaganda is, oh, uh, your state is going to be able to make all this money. Yeah. Uh, it, it, that's amazing to me. Yeah. And when you said that earlier, I was like, oh, I, had, I, just, I didn't understand that that's the way it was. It's like a drop in the bucket. Yeah. Well, no... yeah. One of my favorite quotes was from, because in Colorado, they really um, emphasized during the ballot election cycle that this, they would be putting money towards schools. You right. know, and who doesn't want money for schools? Right. Well, we've been fooled with that before. We've, with a Florida lottery was supposed to give us, so we knew that that wasn't going to happen. But the best quote that I've heard was from one of, the, I think he was a school superintendent or somebody with a school system in the state of Colorado. Mm-hmm. And he said, the only thing that recreational marijuana has brought the school system is more marijuana. Oh, wow, that makes he's sense. He's not seeing more funding because of it. He's just seeing more marijuana incidences by from his students. And you see kids with the, the vapes now, and they're, they're uh-huh. able to hide it and conceal it. See, that's another thing we didn't have back in the day was ways to conceal marijuana use. Oh, And now they have all these ways of yeah. concealing it with, um, I know vapes, that. Vapes, gummies. Vapes, gummies, edibles, stuff like that. I know. Sodas. So, Sodas. Yeah. Yeah. Cannabis sodas. Marijuana. Seriously? Oh, soda pops, drinks. In fact, I think I think the statistic is 28 percent of adults who consume marijuana products now consume in edibles or sodas. Like that's what the statistic is. Sodas. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of different uh, marijuana beverages. Jason and I are disbelieving. We're looking at each other. We're completely disbelieving. So imagine opening that up and pouring it into your Yeti cooler. Nobody's going to know that you're using marijuana because you're not stinking up the whole room by lighting up your joint. You might be eating a granola bar, a cookie, a candy. So how does that impact the school, the workplace, and just public safety? Wow. That, it's just unreal to me how this has evolved to a point where it's just like to me it's it's a little bit frightening because it's like yeah just because it's legal doesn't mean it's like not detrimental to your to your health right or to your life in general and I think we're giving that misconception to people that oh if it's legal it's fine yeah and I don't. Somebody asked me that the other day. They said, well, what if, you know, at the federal level, we end up legalizing marijuana? What are you going to do at Drug Free America Foundation? You know, what you? I said, well, first of all, we focus on a lot of drugs. Right. But just because something is legal doesn't mean that it's harmless. Right. So we will still be doing the same exact thing. We will still be talking about the harms caused by marijuana mm-hmm. use, how it harms your physical health, your mental health, and how it has public safety impacts. Those aren't going to go away just because you legalize something. Well, right. It just makes the, the criminal aspect go away. Right. But aside from that, now I wonder what's going to happen with the businesses that 
like the cartels and the other businesses that traffic marijuana illegally, say it goes legal countrywide, my fear is that they're going to go into their focuses go into like heroin and meth and like amping those up to make up for the profits they're going to lose Absolutely. for trafficking illegal there's, marijuana. There's and that's scary. That. Yeah. Is there, is there? there is evidence of that now. So there was an article and I don't remember who did it, but you can Google it. And it was talking about how when the United States, when some states here legalized prior to that, we got most of our marijuana from Mexico. Right. And now we get have our own and it's probably better than what came out of Mexico. Mm-hmm. So we're not doing that. So they sh- they had an uptick in the amount of opioids and heroin and fentanyl production right. coming out of the cartels. And But what most people don't realize is we call them drug cartels, but really they're cartels. And this is just a reminder that you are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. If you would like more information on the podcast or you would like to contact us, go to Facebook and look for our Facebook page, the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. If you would like to find out more information about Narcan on Suncoast, the number is 877-339-3324. That's 877-339-3324. Two four. They don't just deal in drugs. No, they deal in people. Mm-hmm. They deal in arms. In some countries, they deal in organs. Mm-hmm. Um, they have oh. a lot of other enterprises that they are working on besides drugs. They're not all of a sudden going to say, "Oh, drugs are legal." I'm going to become a legal business person right. and do everything legitimately now. I'm going to be a buy the book. That's not going to happen. Yeah. They're going to get into more dangerous more things. More humans. Right. Sell more, more potent drugs. Yep. It, it, it's a dangerous it's like situation. like a multi-divisional organization. Absolutely. They the arms division, their drugs division, their human trafficking division. Their harvesting of organs division. Like, that's unreal. But, yeah, that was my fear is that once marijuana gets legal because there's so much of it trafficked from Mexico through our country that they're going to turn their attention to something else that's making money. Well, and I think that that's one of the things that sometimes we lose sight of when we're talking about drugs. We talk a lot about the drug itself. Right. So today we talk a lot about opioids. We talk a lot about marijuana. We talk about heroin. Mm -hmm. We talk about the fentanyl analogs. Um, We're seeing a very big increase in cocaine and methamphetamine in our country and and around the world. Um, Tomorrow we're going to be talking about chemicals that we don't even know about that are coming in from China. Mm -hmm. And until we start discussing why people are using the drugs in the first place, Right. Why they're using some kind of chemical coping system. Mm-hmm. We're kind of screwing ourselves. I mean, we have to talk about the dangers of each drug, but we also have to talk about the underlying use of why people are using. Mm-hmm. And that's the hard part. Exactly. That's that's one of the things we talk about a lot when we talk about Narcanon is that, mm-hmm. you know, once Narcanon has gotten the person free of the drugs and the residual drugs in the body – then they go in with, okay, what's the problem? That's where the work for, starts. Yeah, what's the problem for which drugs became the solution? Because if you don't get at the root of that, it's, it's not going to be another substance. Yeah, yeah. And, that's what, fixed, yeah. and that's why I say the drugs aren't necessarily the problem. Yeah. It's a symptom of a way bigger issue. The drug use is a symptom of like some major unhandled personal issues. And that's precisely obviously what Narconon deals with. But the drug itself obviously is the dangerous part. But, right. the, but that behavior to us mm-hmm. is just an indicator. Yeah. yeah, that's not the actual problem. Like if, if drug abuse, like just abusing a substance and that was it was the old problem. You just have people in five day detoxes, get them off the drug and that'd be fine. That'd be it. Yeah. And there yeah. wouldn't be a need for any kind of like additional therapies or therapeutic techniques or anything. And so that's why to us, it's just that's the indicator that something's wrong. OK, look, Absolutely. your kid's abusing heroin. Something's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Let's get them where we can figure out what's wrong. 
Because it, there's, I mean, I always kind of recall this story. The first time I did cocaine, I thought I found my God, my Savior, my thing that was going to take literally every problem away from me. But why did I feel that way? Right. And I didn't get to handle that for years until I found Narcon. So, right. you know, I always say it doesn't matter what drug you're using. Like, I, at one point, I had to take out of my verbiage, oh, you're just on marijuana. No, people get really, 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 really physically yeah. and mentally addicted to marijuana. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's a thing. The marijuana of today. Well, yeah. Because which, it's as we have to keep saying over and over again, is not the marijuana of the 60s and 70s. Right. It's not the same thing. What's your take on that? I think it's scary. I mean, I think that it is absolutely frightening the products that are on the street right now. So we all know that research takes a really long time to do, especially good research. That's, you know, double blind studies, longitudinal studies. So if you think about how long that takes, the product that they were doing the testing on Mm -hmm. was probably one to three percent marijuana. So if we know one to three percent THC in Mm -hmm. marijuana causes cognitive development problems in your frontal lobe it you know causes a, a IQ deficiencies it causes you know a birth low birth rates in babies you, all these negative impacts I'm frightened to find what is going to happen with 80, 90, even 35% THC marijuana. Because that's what the buds are at now. They're able to grow it with that amount of THC. We have a product that's being marketed through the Florida Medical Marijuana Program. It's called Florida's Finest. Not that I'm trying to advertise for them. (laughs) Um, uh, But they online, they market it for, it's an 85% THC product, less than 1% cannabidiol. And the CBD is the component of the plant that has the most research behind it Mm -hmm. for medical promise and medical purpose. So they're giving you less than 1% of that, but 84% of the hallucinogenic. Yeah, but you get to get super stoned. Yeah, it's going to help with anxiety, they said. Yeah. But if there's, okay, but look, if there's no, if there's less than 1% cannabidiol in it, that's the part that has the medical benefit. People are just getting high. Yeah, absolutely. There's no medical benefit. Ding, ding, ding. If there's no medical benefit, if you're reducing the very byproduct that you're looking for to handle your medical concerns. So we're all in this big facade. We just like getting stoned as a society. Yeah, One of their advertisements says, like weed, get it legal. So that would be, could you imagine <laughs> if, if a pain doctor, like a pain management clinic, which is a legitimate business if they're mm. operating you know, correctly, you know, a a pain management doctor isn't going to just prescribe narcotics. They might tell you do yoga, do physical therapy, Mm -hmm. you know, that that's the purpose of it. This, a a medical marijuana doctor has one modality of care. They're only recommending that you use marijuana no matter Mm -hmm. what you come in for. Mm -hmm. So one of them here in Florida, their (laughs) advertisement says like weed, get it legal. Can you imagine if a pain management doctor said like heroin, come get your oxys? We yeah. would be livid. Yeah. Like we would it, never would allow that to happen. Yeah. But it's okay for the marijuana industry to do that. Why is that? Wow. Well, I, I want, but why? What, what's, guess, the, what's the di- Okay, to me, it's like, what's the difference? And I know someone's going to hate on the fact that I just equated heroin with marijuana. They like are, marijuana but with every we other drug. That, yeah. But a drug is a drug is a drug to a certain degree. Yeah. Um, yep. And yeah, that would infuriate people. Like Oxy, get it legal. Yeah. Now, the other thing, the other thing you said before, before we were actually recording, which absolutely blows my mind, I think, who was it that was telling you that there's a stigma attached with being drug free? Yeah, so we're we're all about reducing the stigma now. That's those are the key terms that are used when it talks when we're talking about drug policy now. And of course, we don't want to stigmatize the person. You know, right. um, people are people. I believe, and I would hope that everybody believes this: that every life is worth saving. And that might take a hundred times. It might take two times. It might take a million times. But it's not our 
our place to say that, you know, we've we've tried to save you four times and huh, sorry, because you never know when somebody's going to get yeah. that help. Um, so we don't want to stigmatize the person. We want to stigmatize the drug seeking behaviors, the right. behaviors that come around with addiction. Um, so in this conversation that I was having um, with this person who is obviously very liberal uh, toward the drug issue, <laughs> they said, well, isn't just asking somebody to be drug free a stigma? And I said, "Well, that's a new one to me. I've that's, never, I've never heard that." How dare you! Well, I'm so, so bogus. You've hurt yeah. my feelings. Drug free. I know. I'm a non-substance user. Yeah, and I'm. But not, it's like, yeah, I'm not naive to the fact that you know, our we're a drug-free world. You're a drug-free America. You know, things like that. Uh, do I think that we're ever going to get that? Uh, you know, probably not. We're not going to get everybody with our prevention message. But why would we not strive toward that? We would never say in public health, we want to reduce HIV rates by 30 percent right. and then we'll be happy. No, we want to eliminate the, the, di- the, the disease. Right. So the goal is always to eliminate it. Yeah. So we, we definitely want to strive toward a world where people live free from the burden of substance abuse. You can't take that away from us. Right. But we know that we don't get at everybody with prevention. So we, we look at, you know, harm reduction to get them into treatment mm-hmm. and sustained recovery. We know that there's a multi-pronged approach. But to say that it's stigmatizing to ask somebody to be drug-free, uh, it was – I was that, absolutely just, shocked. I was is, kind of – I didn't really know what to say. That, that is so ridiculous. I mean um, – you that know, makes me angry. It, it does me too. Yeah. Well, Jason and I have talked about many times that there's a whole faction out there that says that if someone is on methadone or suboxone – or kratom that they are sober and we're like no how do you figure that doesn't work you know and so you know okay if it's a stigma for somebody to be drug free i'm sorry jason that's what we're working for every single day so we just want to go out and create i'm going to stigmatize everybody i'm fine everybody with that we possibly can. i'm okay with it do you know yeah, it, it, I think that it's uh, you. We live in a world where you have to be so politically correct, and you can't hurt people's feelings. But the reality is, um, you know, it's not okay. And this is what we talked about. It's not okay to neglect your children because you're high. That's right. It's not okay to drive under the influence of a substance and hurt yourself or somebody else. Mm-hmm. It's not okay to to you know, commit criminal acts to further your drug use. We have to make sure that those things are always unacceptable to society as a whole, not that the person is unacceptable. We don't want somebody to not seek treatment or not seek help because they feel that they're a burden or because they feel ashamed. That part we want to remove the stigma from, just not the behaviors of addiction itself. Exactly. Else what prevents somebody from doing it? Exactly. Oh, right. I, I just and that and what's going to create a drug free world, in my opinion, is when people start, are drug free. Well, yeah, of course. But it's when you start when we teach at a young age and we teach throughout our entire culture and everything that we do that drug use is not the answer to something. You don't need a substance to take away what hurts. You just need to handle why does something hurt? Absolutely. And we're taught, at least in the society we have now at a very young age. Take a pill for anything that hurts. Mm-hmm. Yep. Here's some, you have a headache, take this. Have a stomachache, take this. Your leg hurts, take this. You have cramps, take this. It's just like we're taught to self-medicate at a young age. Yeah. And so like we had a cabinet in our kitchen full of pills, narcotics, everything. And uh, my parents would say, oh, what hurts? Okay, here, take one of these, two of these, and three of these. I'm like, okay. I didn't know that wasn't normal. But that's just a, it's a societal thing that we have to shift, in my opinion. You know, one of the, one of the other things we were talking about, Amy, that I'd like you to address like briefly is just – this is now a political issue, and that yeah. just makes my stomach turn. 
Yeah. So um, especially now in Florida, we have and, and this isn't unique to Florida. We see it nationally. We see it internationally. Mm-hmm. Um, making uh, marijuana part of your political platform um, has been advantageous to some of these uh, politicians. And it's advantageous in the in the purpose is that marijuana is a huge industry now and they're looking for ways to spend their money and in their minds what better ways to give it to political candidates and let them let them sing our tune for us so here in florida we have one of our governor candidates who's made legalization part of his platform we have uh, one of our attorney general candidates who's made legalization part of their platform and we have one of our agricultural commissioner candidates who's made uh, who is a a former medical marijuana lobbyist so i'm going to assume is pretty liberal when it comes to uh, drug policy issues. Um, And these are things that these people might have believed all the Mm -hmm. time, but it wasn't um, politically okay for them to get up there and say that. Mm -hmm. And now they've seen that how marijuana has become so normalized, they see that it's actually helping their campaign and they're out there. And it's really sad because we we are now putting, and, you know, this is a phrase that I hear a lot when – you know, and talking with our colleagues and stuff, and especially with Canada mm-hmm. now with their legalization, is we're putting profits before people, yep. and it's 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 disgusting and it's very sad. I agree. It is. It's, it's completely just, disgusting that it's a political issue or a partisan issue or whatever. It's just. It's it's just wrong. Yeah. I mean, the data is there. We know that not everybody who uses marijuana becomes addicted, but a certain amount of people do. And why would we want to forward that agenda when Mm. we know that it's going to cause harm in our society, harm on our youth? Would they be okay if it was one of their kids Mm -hmm. that was going to be the one in six Uh that that had addiction because of marijuana? I don't think they would. Right. And for your and for the listeners, do you want to take that chance with your child (laughs) or your parent? Or your family member or your friend that they might be the one in however many gets addicted to marijuana and moves on to heavier drugs. I don't know. That's not a chance I want to take. No, no. People, you know? people just need to get the facts on the marijuana today yeah. because a lot of the families, I think, like with the younger families or people like my age who have young kids, remember the weed that was around when we were kids but might not be necessarily hip to what's around now. And so it's like I feel like everyone just needs to like, get the data, get the information about marijuana and what it is and in today's society. And speaking of which, how can they get that data from Drug Free America? Where do they go? Um, they can go to our website, uh, www.dfaf.org. And we actually have a Truth About Marijuana campaign right now running. And um, it's a it's a, a kind of a sad campaign because it is talking exactly about that. You know, it's not a popular view to say marijuana is a gateway drug. But the data shows us that marijuana, alcohol, and tobacco are the drugs of initiation mm-hmm. for youth as they go in, into their, their drug use. So if we can keep them from using those in the first place, we're, they're less likely to abuse other drugs. But we have a new um, public service announcement that's running in uh, 22 states. It actually ends this week. And it's uh, uh, the story of Karen Bailey and her son, Corey. And Corey started using marijuana at an early age, mm-hmm. and he eventually died of a narcotics overdose because he switched to opioids and prescription pills and you know he told her that it started with marijuana and he told her when she was taking him to treatment one day that she asked him you know Corey, when when how did you make the switch from marijuana to pills and he said well that was easy mom uh eventually the marijuana ran out and somebody always had pills Mm -hmm. and it it was just a very sad story but very 
honest and uh, something that needs to get out there because every parent understands the opioid crisis. Right. And nobody would say, you know, that's not a big deal. Well, right. But so many parents think that marijuana is not a big deal. And we have too many parents like Karen Bailey who tell us otherwise. And that's the message that parents really need to understand. Why take that chance? Yeah. I think that's a very, very good point. And once again, listeners, if you want to find out more information, you go to dfaf.org. That's D like David, F like Frank, A like Apple, F like Frank.org. Amy, thank you so much for coming here and doing this interview with us. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we should just have you like every couple months just schedule you come back and give Absolutely. us an update on what's going on out there because there's always developments. There's always something changing <laughs> there in, is. <laughs> in, in marijuana and, and drug abuse in general. And so I think it's just really interesting to like hear these updates on what's been going on out there. So thank you. Absolutely. I, I agree. Thank you. And Jason, Johnny. you and I will do this again next week. We have an interview coming up. Um, and it got, left my mind who we're interviewing, but we, ha- oh, I know we have an interview with a nurse coming yes. up who's a former addict and, uh, yeah. her drug of choice was fentanyl. Yes. Oh. And you were actually, sh- you didn't realize that some people could have that drug of choice and it absolutely can. I blew my mind. Yeah. We always talk about how this or that is laced with fentanyl. Marijuana is coming up now wow. being laced with oh, fentanyl. Yeah. And so uh, that'll be it, interesting. And they're hear. actually, one of the fentanyl analogs actually can survive being burned is what I hear is why it's being there's those people that say oh well if you put fentanyl in marijuana it's like not going to work because it's, you'll burn it and that'll be the end of it but mm-hmm. apparently some of the new analogs that are coming out they're actually find are smokable oh, so that's going to be well are. besides that you got sodas and gummies and all of that you could just drop a little fentanyl in some of that anyway <laughs> we're jason and i are going to keep putting the message out yeah. there because we want people to know that there is hope there is help available and we will talk to you again next week we'll see you then You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 